Matthew chapter number 18. I'm going to begin in verse number 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Imagine asking Jesus that question, right? Like, I mean, how prideful, how arrogant is that? They all wanted to be like number one in his book. You talk about brown nose, and there it is right there in the Bible. Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Today in our series, Good, Good Father, I want to minister to you on the subject of childlike faith and how childlike faith enables us to experience the goodness of God in this message that I've entitled, I Resign. I Resign. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit to each and every heart? Would you make this message relevant, real, and personal to each individual, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. Pastor, what are we resigning from? Well, listen to what one author wrote. I hereby officially am tendering my resignation as an adult. I have decided I would like to accept the responsibility of an eight-year-old again. I want to go to McDonald's and think it's a four-star restaurant. I want to sell sticks across a fresh mud puddle and make ripples with rocks. I want to think M&Ms are better than money because you can eat them. I want to lie under a big oak tree and run a lemonade stand with my friends on a hot summer day. I want to return to a time when life was simple, when all you knew was colors and multiplication tables and nursery rhymes. But that didn't bother you because you didn't know what you didn't know and you didn't care. All you knew was to be happy because you were blissfully unaware of all the things that should make you worried or upset. I want to think that the world is fair, that everyone's honest and good. I want to believe that anything is possible. I want to be oblivious to the complexities of life and be overly excited by the little things again. I want to live simple again. I don't want my day to consist of computer crashes and mountains of paperwork and depressing news and how to survive more days in the month than there is money in the bank. I want to believe in the power of smiles and hugs, a kind word, truth, justice, peace, dreams, the imagination, mankind, and making angels in the snow. So here's my checkbook, here's my car keys, my credit card bills, and my 401k statements. I'm officially resigning from adulthood. And if you want to discuss it further, you'll have to catch me first because, tag, you're it. <laughs> Doesn't it sound wonderful? The days of, of blissful ignorance, the days of the innocence of being a child again, when we really did believe that everyone was good, that everyone had the best of intentions, that they cared for each individual and wanted the best for each other. The days when we believed that really our dreams come, could come true, where we could be, be anything that we wanted to be, an astronaut or, or a pop star or the president of the United States, the days where we lived without concern or responsibility, when we were able to actually open our eyes in the morning and go back to sleep because we did recall all the things that we had to do during that particular day. The days of being a child again. I don't know about you, but I want them. I want to I want to blow bubbles again. I want to eat ice cream and eat candy and not worry about my arteries getting clogged. I I just want to I just want to be that kind of young again. Truth of the matter is we all know that we're grown up now. We're we're adults now. We know that that uh we can't return to being a child again and we can't resign from adulthood and even if we we could our adult minds would try to convince us otherwise that it would be impractical in every way and the question really is is it 
Listen to the words of Jesus again. His words challenge our practically impossible paradigm. And he politely and yet poignantly asks us to resign from an adult type of faith and to once again return to a childlike faith and simplicity in our good, good heavenly father. And the reason why Jesus is doing that is he's inviting us into this place because it's this childlike faith. This belief in our Heavenly Father that opens up a world of the goodness of God that God wants each and every one of us to experience. And I want you to notice the the language that Jesus uses. He says, except you be converted and become as a little child. And in the original language, the word converted literally means to, to have this mind shift. To have this paradigm change in your head where you realize that, that you're not God's adult. None of us have ever been God's adults. We always have been and always will be God's kids. God wants us to see us as, wants us to see Him as our Father and us as His children. He wants us to understand this is our daddy and we are His children and He wants so much to show us all of the good things that heaven has to offer and the way in which we expose ourselves And we position ourselves to experience this overwhelming goodness of God as we resign from our adult-like faith. And we once again adopt this childlike faith. And so today I want to give you a few ways that you and I can resign from adulthood. And the first thing is on your outline there, number one is, like a child, make this commitment, I will imitate my Heavenly Father. Matter of fact, isn't this what children do? They imitate their parents. Sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. Anybody ever been embarrassed by their child imitating them? I could tell you stories, but if I told you stories, you would think less of me. Anyway, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 1, it says, Be imitators of God as dear children. This is what children do. They imitate their parents. Just last week, it was 103 degrees in New York City. I went to our Harlem campus, and I was preaching there. They don't have air conditioning. And it, oh my goodness, see these towels that I use? It was a four towel sermon. I mean, I was just dripping sweat like you won't believe. Anyway, the gentleman that drives me down is a dear friend of mine. He was telling me how he beats the heat because he doesn't have air conditioning in his home. And he says what he does is he just strips down to his boxer shorts and runs the ceiling fan and sits underneath the ceiling fan with a cup of lemonade or iced tea or something like that. That's real cool. He just kind of just stays cool like that. But he has a three-year-old little boy. And his three-year-old little boy was observing him just sitting there in his boxer shorts with his cup of lemonade. And before he knows it, here comes his son in his underwear. Nothing else on. And he sits right down next to his dad with a cup of lemonade. And he's like, I guess this is the way we beat the heat, dad. This is what we do. Right? I remember when my son was about five or six years old. Um, he'd gone up to his room. He was a little too quiet in there. My wife and I went upstairs to see what he was doing. We opened the door. And we opened it into his room. And there's, there's baby powder all over the room. I mean, he's got the, the rug is covered in baby powder. The bed is covered in baby powder. He's covered in baby powder. And he's got these shoes lined up. And we're like, Joe, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm just powdering my shoes like you do, Daddy. I guess this is the way we beat foot odor, right? What, what does the Bible after when it says, as dear children, imitate your heavenly father? In the same way this little boy learned how to beat the heat by imitating his father. In the same way my son learned how to beat foot odor by imitating his father. When we imitate our heavenly father, we learn how to overcome and beat all the things that come against us in life. We learn how to beat sickness and disease, poverty and lack. We learn how to beat depression and all of the things 
things that come at us in life. We learn how to walk in authority and have that victorious Christian life that Jesus came to give us. The way we do that is by imitating our heavenly Father. And there's so many examples of this in the Bible of how we're called to imitate our heavenly Father and how that opens up this world of God's goodness to us. One of the ones that I was led to share with you is the story of Abraham and Sarah. You remember their story in the Bible? They weren't always Abraham and Sarah. At one time, they were Abram and Sarai. And you remember their story. Well, they were Abram and Sarai. They had no children well into their 90s. But yet God had promised them that through them all nations of the earth would be blessed. That through their lineage would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And through them would be a multitude of people. And so he promised them that they would have lots of kids. And then their kids would have kids and so on and so forth. But here they are in their 90s and they're Abram and Sarai. And they have no children yet. And so God gives them this little key to receiving promises even when problems persist in their life. And what he does is he changes their name from Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. And you know Abraham means father of many nations and Sarah means mother of many nations. And the reason why God gives them this is because God wanted them to do something that God does all of the time. He wanted to give them a practical way of imitating God because whenever we imitate God, we position ourselves to receive the goodness of God. And what they were doing every time they called each other by name is they were declaring God's promise in the middle of their problem. How many of you know that that's how you receive the goodness of God in your life? You don't talk about your issue. You don't stay on your issue. You don't focus on your problem. Eventually, you have to get your eyes off of your problem and onto the promise of God. And so God gives them this very practical way. By the way, Always make the scripture practical. Sometimes we can make it so complicated, we think it's hard. God makes it easy for us. And so he says, every time you call each other by name, you'll be declaring your promise in the middle of your problem. You'll get your eyes off of what you're going through and get your eyes on me because that's how you receive the goodness of God. You might remember when Peter stepped out of the boat in the Bible. Remember he walked on water? Do you know why he was able to walk on water? Because he kept his eyes on Jesus. As soon as he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at his surrounding circumstances, he began to sink. Our faith doesn't work when we keep our eyes on the problem. Our faith only works when we keep our eyes on the promise. And one of the ways that we keep our eyes on the promises is we declare what God has said about our situation despite what we're going through. And so God gives Abraham and Sarah this little key to imitate what God does. And I want to show you this in Scripture. Romans chapter 4 Verse number 16 said, therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made thee a father of nations before him who believed even God. Now watch this, who quickens the dead or in other words, brings dead things back to life again and calls those things which be not as though they were. Those things which be not as though they were. And so here's what God does. 
God never focuses on the circumstances as they currently are. God never talks about the circumstances as they currently are. What God does is God always talks about your circumstance as though he wants it to be. And the reason why God does this, does this is because God wants to get us our eyes off of what we're going through onto what he's promised so that we can experience the goodness of God. And we see this all throughout scripture the way that God interacts with men. Remember when God called Gideon? He found Gideon hiding behind a wine press. He was afraid of his enemy, the Midianites. And yet when God first called him, the angel said this to him. He said, hey, hey, mighty man of valor. In other words, he calls this guy who's scared a warrior of warriors. Why is God doing that? Because he's calling those things which be not as though they were. When he calls Mary, the mother of Jesus, he says, hail, highly favored one. She's a social outcast. But yet God doesn't refer to her as a social outcast. He refers to her as highly favored. When he first calls David, David is a shepherd boy, but God calls him a king. In the Bible, there's a story of a man by the name of Jairus whose daughter died. Jesus goes to the house. She's as dead as dead could be. Jesus walks into the room. He goes, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. What's up with Jesus? What's up with God? Why are they always saying the opposite of what really is? Because the way that God talks is he talks promises. He talks outcomes. He doesn't talk the way the problem is or the situation is. Because the longer you focus on your situation, the longer you stay in your circumstances. And so what God does is he gives Abraham and Sarah this little key. So that they can experience the goodness of God by imitating the way that God talks. Watch this. The scripture goes on in verse number 18. It says, who against hope believed in hope. This is Abraham. That he might become the father of many nations. By the way, how many of you know circumstances sometimes can look hopeless? Right? Most of the time when circumstances look hopeless, we give up on our faith. We think, you know what, might as well quit. You know, nothing we could do about it now. Here's what you need to understand. If you got a promise of God, you can hope against hope. Even when the circumstances don't look right, you can just focus in and you can look at that promise and keep declaring that over your life. And that promise has the power to turn your hopeless situation into hope again. And so Abraham decided against hope to keep on believing anyway. And it says that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. Can I tell you how your faith gets weak? It gets weak by looking at your circumstances all of the time. And this is where the enemy beats us. Because the enemy is always trying to get us to look at all the problems that are surrounding us in life. And if we get our eyes on the problems, what happens? We begin to sink. What happens is our faith gets weak. It can't stay strong. We've got to get our eyes off of the problems and onto the promise. We've got to get our eyes off of the waves like Peter did and onto Jesus. Because if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is he? He's the author and finisher of our faith. We'll know that if we put it in his hands, he'll bring it to completion in our lives. And so Abraham, he doesn't consider the fact that his body is past the age where he can actually father children or the deadness of his wife's womb, the Bible says. And when he was about 100 years old, he didn't consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. When we have unbelief in our hearts, we're not trusting God at his word. Matter of fact, the scripture says this, that if there's unbelief in our hearts, that we can't expect to receive anything 
from the Lord. And so what we need to do in order to get rid of that um, unbelief is we have to feed our faith and starve our doubt. How do we feed our faith and starve our doubt? We stop focusing on problems and start declaring promises over our life. The more you declare promises over your life, the stronger and stronger your faith will get. And then it says, and he was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. When you look at the story of Abraham, you find a classic example of what it's like to move into a place of faith. And the reason for this is how many of you know when a circumstance first happens, oftentimes it staggers us, right? When we get bad news, we don't always start out in faith, but eventually we have to end up there. Eventually we have to stop talking about our problem and move into a place where we've latched on to the promise of God. Everybody wobbles a little bit. Abraham, when God first gave him the promise said, I'll take matters into my own hands. And instead of having a child with his wife, he had a child with his handmaiden because he didn't think God could do what he said. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you try to do it another way because you didn't think God could do what he said, right? We look at a circle and we're like, well, I don't see how it's going to happen that way, God. And so we try to fix it on our own. But eventually, we have to move on from the problem. And we have to focus in on the promise of God. And the way we do that is keep declaring it over and over again. Because this is what our Heavenly Father does. He doesn't speak of the circumstances as they are. He speaks of the circumstances as He's promised. I want to show you another scripture that specifically talks about this. Um, The scripture is in um, Isaiah chapter 46 verse number 9. It says, remember the former things of old. For I am God, there is no other. I am God, there's none like me. Watch this. Declaring the end from the beginning. This is what God does. God doesn't speak of the situation as it is. He speaks of the situation as he wants it to be. God starts with a solution. Then he backs up to where you and I are. And he leads us by the hand into the solution. But we've got to follow him. Matter of fact, I believe that God always visits our future. Backs up to our present. And if we'll follow him, God will walk us right into the solution that he's already put in place. You remember the story of Abraham when he offered up Isaac? God said, go up to the top of this mountain. He said, and offer me a sacrifice there. Abraham obeys, and when he gets there, he turns right before he's ready to offer up Isaac. He turns, and he sees a ram caught in a thicket. And remember what he said? He said, he called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. That doesn't mean just provider. It means the God who sees in advance and provides. Why? Because God doesn't start at the beginning God starts at the end. Whenever you're going through something, just go forward a little bit. Say, Pastor, well, I can't go into the future. Here's how you go forward. You go forward by imagining yourself as whatever it is that you're believing God for. So if you're sick, go into the future and see yourself well. If you're broke, go into the future and see yourself blessed. If you're depressed, go into the future and see yourself happy. You've got to travel to the end, then back up to the beginning and just keep declaring what God said about your situation. This is what God does. And if we are going to receive God's goodness, we've got to imitate our Heavenly Father. And the Scripture tells us to do this not only in Ephesians chapter 5, be imitators of God as dear children, but listen to what Joel chapter 3 verse number 10 says. It says, let the weak say I'm strong. What's up with that? 
Oh, that's a lie. If I feel weak and I say I'm strong, that's a lie, Pastor. See, people who say don't, they don't understand the principles of God. Whenever you're going through something, if you declare what you're currently going through over and over again, you'll stay there longer than you need to stay there. You know, the scripture says, Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no, fear no evil, for God is with us. Too many Christians camp out in the valley of the shadow of death. They pitch their tents there. And it's not that they're intentionally trying to stay there, but when you don't work the principles of God, you stay in circumstances longer than you need to. And every time you declare your problem over and over again, what you're doing is you're driving those tent pegs deeper and deeper into the sand. It gets harder for you to pick up your tent and move out of the valley of the shadow of death. That's why the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years when they were only supposed to be there for 11 days. We stay in circumstances longer than we need to because we refuse to mimic, to be imitators of our Heavenly Father. We, be, we refuse to talk like He talks and walk like He walks and love like He loves and give like He gives and forgive like He forgives and bless like He blesses. But when we imitate our Heavenly Father, what happens is we position ourselves for the goodness of God and what's t- taken years to do on our own, God can do just like that. And so in order to experience the goodness of God, we've got to look to what our Heavenly Father is doing. Now, here's the thing. In order to truly be an imitator of somebody, you've got to study that person. Matter of fact, the the Greek word imitate your Heavenly Father as dear children is the Greek word mimitos, and it means to mimic. Anybody ever been mimicked before? Right? Don't you hate that? It's kind of like you want to slap the person. You know they're trying to annoy you. And there's different ways to mimic people, right? You can mimic a person to make fun of them, but that's not what this word mimic means. It means to emulate. And there's a difference between imitation and emulation, right? Imitation could be you're making fun of somebody. Emulation is you want to be like them. You admire them. You aspire to to, to be like them. And so you begin to follow after them. I'd say it like this. You begin to shadow that person. You know, in the business world or even in just regular workplaces, that's not the business world service and stuff like that. We find out that one of the best ways to learn is to shadow, right? I was a, I was a bus boy, a waiter, all that kind of stuff when I was in high school and college. And when you got on the job the first couple of days or maybe the first week, you would, you would shadow somebody else. And you might have experienced that when you're at a restaurant. What they, you know, you see two people come to the table and you're like, wow, look at this, two people. You know, it's really not that there's two people, even though there is, it's that one person is shadowing the other person in order to learn how to do their job. When I, when I, our kids were younger, they were our shadows all the time. Wherever we went, they shadowed us. My daughter was my wife's shadow. My son was my shadow. My daughter's actually a little bit more like me in a lot of ways, and my son's a little bit more like my wife in a lot of ways. Uh, My son's got a much sweeter personality than I do. He's a lot kinder. He's a lot more patient than I am, right? My daughter, she likes to be in charge, you know, and she's, she's, she's got that leadership instinct on the inside. But she shadowed my wife, and my son shadowed me a lot. And one time, when my wife was teaching my son how to be potty trained, you know, my daughter was always there. So she would see my wife, put the little potty seat down, and then put my son on it. And a, a couple of hours went by after she observed this for the first time. And sure enough, she walks by the toilet, and this is what she sees. <laughs> Why'd she do that? Because she saw my wife do it. And wh- whoever you shadow, you eventually begin to, to imitate 
you, you eventually begin to emulate. I remember another time, my son, he was, he was always right here. I mean, I couldn't move without him being there. From the moment he got up to like 5.30 in the morning, he'd come bolting down the hallway. I could hear his thunderous feet. And he'd literally super fly me while I was sleeping. Boom! And he'd have his baseball glove and his baseball glove. He'd say, come on, Dad, it's time to go play baseball. I guess 5.30, kid, relax. You know? And I'd get up. And he'd always want to go into the bathroom with me. And I'd be like, you cannot come into the bathroom with me. I need some privacy. And so what he would do is he would sit right outside the bathroom door. And I'd shut the door and he'd listen on the bathroom door. And whatever he hear, he would ask questions about. So he said, Dad, you peeing now? I'd be like, yeah, I'm peeing now. Dad, you just flushed the toilet? Yeah, I just flushed the toilet. Dad, you just blow your nose? Yes, I just blowed my nose. Dad, you just turn on the sink water? Yes, I just turned on the sink water. Dad, you brushing your teeth? Yes. Dad, you, you, you put mouthwash in your mouth and you're gargling right now? Yes, I'm gargling. Dad, you put on the shower? Yes. Dad, you just made a noise? Yes, Joe, I just made a noise. <laughs> he'd just be there. And then shortly after, I'd see him. He'd be in his bathroom. You know, he'd have his little step up. Then he would step up to the sink and he, he'd put shaving cream on his face at six. Now, six-year-olds don't need shaving cream. They don't need to shave. A doll doesn't need to go on the potty. But what happens is when you shadow somebody, you begin to emulate them. In order to truly emulate our Heavenly Father, we need to shadow our Heavenly Father. We need to observe Him. We need to get close enough to Him to find out what He's like and how He acts. And when we do, we experience the goodness of God. Let me show you this. I want to go to Psalm Number 91, Psalm 91, and I'm going to read from verse number 2. I'm going to leave verse 1 out on purpose for a minute. Psalm 91, verse number 2 says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. Surely He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers. Under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lies waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes you shall look and you shall see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is your refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you. Nor shall any plague come nigh your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot because he has set his love upon you. Therefore he will deliver you. I will set him on high because he has known my name, says the Lord. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll deliver him and honor him. With long life, I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. And when you read that psalm, isn't it filled with the goodness of God? When you read that song, what, psalm, wouldn't you say that if you experienced all that in your life, you'd be living in the goodness of God? How many of you know that many times we fall short of experiencing that though? And there's a reason why. Because all of those promises are conditional upon the first verse. They're not automatic. Sometimes we think that if we're just Christians, everything that God has for us just is automatically given to us. Now, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, we're on our way to heaven. But all of the blessings that God has for us on this earth need to be appropriated through faith. And so listen to what the scripture says in verse number one of this psalm. 
Psalm 91, verse number 1, in the New King James Version says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the what? Spit it right out. Go ahead. Say it louder. Say it like you're paying attention. Because I don't come up here to preach for me. If I'm preaching it, that means I already got it, right? Say it one more time. Under the what? Shadow of the Almighty. In the Amplified, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will remain secure and rest in the what? Haven't we been through this once already? Say it like you mean it. Under the what? Shadow of the Almighty, whose power no enemy can withstand. Watch this. In the contemporary English version, it says, Live under the protection of the Most High God and stay in the what? Of the all-powerful God. The Living Bible says... We live within the what? Of the Almighty. Sheltered by the God who is above all gods. The message version says, You who sit down in the high God's presence, spend the night in Shaddai's what? Say this, God, you're my refuge. I trust in you and I'm safe. That's right. He rescues you from hidden traps, shields you from deadly hazards. His huge outstretched arms protect you. Under them, you are perfectly safe. Here's my question. How do you get all that goodness? How do you experience all those promises? You've got to stay in the shadow of the Almighty. Now watch this. Okay, I'm going to give you a little example. Mark, can you help me? You see my shadow? See my shadow? I cast a pretty big shadow. Somebody says it because I need to lose weight. I heard it. I heard them thinking that in their heart. I could even tell you who it was. It was Pastor Richie. That's what he was thinking. Am I right? I read your mind. Didn't I read your mind? I got like the prophetic thing going on right now. So check this out. So here's my shadow right here. Now check this out. In order for Mark to stay in my shadow, I want you to stay in my shadow. Okay, let's go. Let's stay in my Come on, man. You, my shadow's over here. You're not in my shadow yet. Okay, let's go back this way. Come on, stay in my shadow. Stay in my shadow. Come on, you, my shadow's there. You're not there yet. Come on, you got to walk quick like me. Come on, stay in my shadow. Stay in my, now you got it. Now you got it. Now you got it. Come on, stay, stay in my shadow. Ah. Come on, let's go. Stay in my Notice what he's doing. In order to stay in my shadow, he's keeping his eyes on me. In order to stay in my shadow, he's got to walk as fast as I do. If I walk slow, he's got to walk slow. If I speed up, he's got to speed up. If I go this way, he's got to go that way. In order for him to stay in my shadow, he's got to keep his eyes focused on me. If he's not, he loses sight of me, he loses sight of my shadow. If my shadow's not over him, he cannot receive the benefits of my shadow. Thank you, thank you. What is God saying? God's saying if you and I are ever going to experience the fullness of his goodness, we need to emulate, emulate, uh, uh, imita- imitate, mimic our heavenly father and the way we do that is we got to shadow him to find out what he's like to find out what he does to find out how he talks to find out how he interacts and when we live in that place he who dwells doesn't mean show up once a month on sunday and i'm dwelling in the shadow of god see we got, this, we got this thing a little messed up. We think that we get to do whatever we want, but still get to enjoy every promise that God has. And then when we do whatever we want, we don't experience God's promises. We're the first ones to say, God, I don't understand why you let that happen. God said, you in the shadow? 
Because if you ain't in the shadow, I, I mean, it's just the way God's arranged it. The reason why I want you to do the things that I'm asking you to do, the reason why I want you to walk in obedience is not because I want to cramp your style, not because I want to make your, your, your life hard, but how many of you tell your kids things to do that your kids don't want to do? Why do you tell them to do it? I tell them to do it because you want to rain on their parade, you want to take away their fun. They think that, right? They think you're telling them that because, you know, you just don't understand. And you're, you're old and, you know, you're not, you're not contemporary and, you know, all the... But the reason why you're telling your kids to do that, don't text when you drive. Why are you telling your kids to do that? So you don't want them to crash. So God says things like, put me first in your finances. Because he's trying to get your money? No. Because he wants to pour out blessing in your life. God said, do not forsake the assembling of yourself together and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Why? Because God doesn't want you to enjoy your, your summertime? No. He wants you to enjoy your summertime, but not at the exclusion of Him. Right? Why does God tell you to do all these things? It has nothing to do with God not loving you. It has nothing to do with you not making it to heaven. It has nothing to do with you not being saved. But God wants his shadow over you all the time because God is passionate about you experiencing his goodness. And so you could do whatever you want. All things are permissible, but not all things are expedient. It's not like God is sitting here going, okay, here's salvation. Nope, taking it back because you did something wrong. It has nothing to do with salvation has everything to do with his blessing resting on you. And when we rest in that shadow, when we live in that shadow, we experience protection. We experience deliverance. We experience freedom from fear. With stuff that touches other people passes over us. His angels watch over us. We walk with authority over the devil. Our prayers are answered. And we experience long life when we walk underneath the shadow. So guess what? Here's my resignation. I resign from adulthood when it comes to my faith. I resign from trying to take care of me. I resign from trying to provide for me. I resign from trying to figure out how to do it without the wisdom of God. I I, I resign from doing it my way because I don't think God can do it his way. I resign from considering my circumstances and instead I consider the promise of God higher than my circumstances. I resign from staggering at, stammering, staggering at the promise through unbelief. I resign and I become childlike. Daddy, um, got my boxers on and I'm sitting on the couch because this is the way we beat heat. I don't quite understand it. I think it'd be better to have air conditioning, but uh, you know, hey, you sitting here just like this. Daddy, uh, I powdered my shoes. I guess you do it. I don't even know why you do it, but I've seen you do it. So I'm powdering my shoes. Daddy, uh, you speak of non-existent things as though they already exist. It's good enough for you. It's good enough for me. So I resign. And in my resignation, I walk to a place where I'm totally covered by the shadow of God and I experience His goodness every single day of my life my question is are you ready to resign I'm telling you the greatest thing you could do is hand in your resignation from adulthood would you stand to your feet